Welcome back to the Commonwealth Classical Liberal Podcast, and thank you for being with us as we continue to discuss politics and liberalism for Virginia and for our country. This podcast, like the Classical Liberal Party of Virginia, or the CLPVA, is a home for those who believe in open markets, open minds, and free people. Thanks for being part of our community and for subscribing and sharing this podcast with others. We really appreciate it. My name is Andy, and as I always am, I'm here with Brian Doss and Chris Frazier. Gentlemen, welcome back. Happy Monday. Nice to be with you for another week. Uh, good to be back. Good to see you again. Or here again as case. always, gentlemen. <laughs> any, any, anything exciting you want to share with the universe of folks who might be listening today? No, other than that, uh, we've had fall, summer, and it's immediately going to go into uh, pre-winter uh, where I am. It's been 80s the past five days, and it's going to be freezing uh, you know, tomorrow when the when the cold front hits. So, yeah, welcome to Virginia. We have four seasons in one day. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit erratic. It's hard, hard to dress for the weather right now, but that's okay. It's uh, it's 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 seasons of some kind at least. Chris, as you enjoy the uh, hi- hyper uh, changing in the weather, any anything else exciting going on in your neck of the woods? Um, uh, not a whole lot. Um, I, I being facetious there because Andy and I were having this conversation before we started recording. Um, and, and Brian, you missed the detail, but. Uh, yeah, my wife and I are actually expecting our first child in February. So oh. a, lot going on, <laughs> a lot going on in the Fraser household. Yeah. Yes. Excellent news. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, super, super exciting. We were, I, I was, uh, I was telling Chris how fast it goes. So very excited for you, Chris and, and Mrs. Chris Fraser. And I uh, hope you guys uh, enjoy the next four months because yeah, it'll be a very exciting change come February. So a good way to bring in the spring. I, 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 have a, I have a March baby. My first son was born in March. And so I appreciate the idea of a nice spring weather coming in with happy little baby faces. So I don't know if there's anything mm-hmm. else to get top that, to be honest, we start the podcast. But let's, let's get into some less exciting news. We'll talk about what's going on in a very important issue. So guys, over the last several weeks, we dove into the principles of the party, the foundation which the CLPVA stands upon. Thank you for taking us through that. I think it was a good discussion. We got into some some deeper dives on some of that. And I think it's really important to help explain, understand where things are and, and what we believe foundationally. Now we're starting an exciting new series of discussions as we explore the party's platform and some current issues. As we're recording this just a week before our elections here in the Commonwealth, we're gonna kick things off with just a quick explanation of how the platform came together. And then the very important topic of ballot access, which I think as we look at these upcoming elections really is very timely and relevant. So. The platform is publicly posted, and the link can be accessed by the CLPVA website, which will be included in the show notes like it always is. But let's let's just do a quick backgrounder. How did the platform even get developed? Uh, well, uh, the people who uh, created the party um, just got together and uh, decided that uh, it needs to be more than just um, you know, kind of in hot pie in the sky, uh, like you know ideals and you know, you know, principles, et cetera. Those are all good. Those are all very important. Uh, but uh, where the rubber hits the road is policy. And so they had uh, the uh, the idea to go and translate what they thought were the most important uh, um, uh, points to make, you know, on the liberal, uh, uh, from a classical liberal perspective uh, in the Commonwealth. And uh, so pointing out what's the principle and then spelling out some actual policy uh, you know, prescriptions or recommendations uh, to go along with them. So it's ba- it's a way to show uh, folks 
that you know the party has not just lofty ideals and principles, but we have a plan of how to de- uh, address uh, a number of the Commonwealth's uh, uh, issues. And, and it's it's point by point, plank by plank. It also helps to uh, like make more specific uh, all the things that we were talking about in the past four weeks with the, uh, uh, the statement of principles and um, yeah, to just make those uh, manifest you know, in the issues today. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're very actionable ideas that can be implemented. So it's, it's great to read through this. And we'll talk about those. Chris, father to be Chris Frazier. Anything you want to add to what Brian started us off with there? No, I, I agree entirely. And I don't think I'm breaking any news here um, when I say that a lot of us that are uh, sort of involved in the initial uh, standup of the, the CLPVA uh, were ex-Libertarian Party members and um one of the reasons that we decided we needed a new party was we wanted an organization that, to Brian's point, isn't just shouting about our our principles and our utopia, but we wanted an organization that was going to move forward with practical action. And, you know, so we decided we needed to stand up these, you know, not just our principles, but um, you know, the policies that we actually want to implement and you know, what we're actually going after. And so I think that bleeds into the character of the party. You know, so you see a difference that, again, we, we have our principles and we know what we believe, but we're out here seeking action and actually achieving you know, something for the people of Virginia. There are so many sarcastic remarks I'm tempted to make right now, but I'm going to control my my temptation and just say it's, it's great to see a party with both principles and an actual intent to effectively govern, which I think is sometimes lacking in other efforts. So I appreciate that, Chris. So guys, let, let's get into it, right? The platform starts off with the topic of electoral reform. I'm going to read the language there, and there's three key ideas articulated, and then we're going to zoom in on one of those for today's discussion. So again, everything we talk about here, the, the principles, the foundation that we discussed, and these, these platform issues are all available on the website, completely transparent and public. So let's talk about electoral reform. The, the website states, the principle states, I'm sorry, the, the platform position states, the people of Virginia deserve a better system of choosing the representatives. And we need to break the cycle of fearing that a choice outside of the old establishment parties will enable the greater evil to win. The Commonwealth needs more choices and more voices in the legislature speaking for all of Virginia's points of view. Therefore, we call for one, institution of ranked choice voting for all races with a single winner. Two, the removal of restrictions on ballot access, lowering or abolishing signature requirements for new parties and independents. And three, institution of top-up proportionality in the House of Delegates, which is a practice of adding additional seats after an election for that session to make the final partisan composition of the House equal to the partisan share of the first round popular vote. So there's a lot in each one of those, and we could spend a lot of time talking about top-up proportionality. We're not going to get into that today. And we could certainly spend a lot of time discussing ranked choice voting, which is a very exciting issue that's being implemented in different parts of the country. We're not going to dive into that one today. So we're going to take this in parts. We'll come back to this, these in future podcasts. But let's talk about the idea of ballot access. Here we are. We're recording this on October 30th. We're just over a week away from a very consequential vote here in the Commonwealth. It has national implications and a lot of national money being thrown at it to primarily choose between one of two candidates, a Republican or a Democrat. And the idea of ballot access is trying to change that a little bit by opening up the, the, the process to others. So let's talk about that. When we talk about ballot access, what does this mean? Why is this issue important? I'll, I'll take the second one first. Uh, the reason that ballot access is important uh, goes to the, the whole root of the problem. Uh, we All of us can look and see uh, the basic dysfunction 
that our governments uh, have, especially at the federal level, uh, in order to in doing anything. If there's any sort of split government, it used to be that a split government uh, meant there's going to be compromise. Now a split government means nothing is going to happen. Uh, and sometimes things need to happen. Uh, and in fact, sometimes that lets the bad the bad things slide because there's nobody willing to take it, uh, responsibility for something. So we know that the problem uh, is that, uh, you know, we have bad governments, governance. Why? Uh, because we have this supposed two-party system, not, specif not specified anywhere in our governing documents uh, you know, to maintain this, but we do. And the logic of the two-party system is, uh, is such that the incentives are to um, delay, obfuscate, uh, oppose, refuse the compromise, and uh, take the take extreme positions uh, in opposition to the other, where any sort of compromise is uh, is sort of like taboo. Um, and the problem is is that everybody's saying, "Oh, we need to fix the system. We need to fix you know this." So we'll just get active in X, you know the you know Democrats and the Republicans, and we'll work within those parties to make it work. And the, the fact of the matter and the reality is, is that because of the incentives of the system that, that we're built, there, there is no reform that's going to be coming out of the two parties. Uh, I mean, it's not to say that there's any kind of like, you know, facile equivalence between the two, but electorally speaking, all of the incentives are to try and get to single party rule uh, and therefore uh, you want anybody in the middle is is bad. It's kind of diluting the diluting the brand. And it's like, oh, if I vote for somebody who's a compromise, it doesn't really matter. I can like pick and choose. And they want to make it as stark as possible, us versus them, so that eventually, hopefully, they roll the dice and they get a cycle where they get, you know, all three, you know, all three houses or you know, all three executives plus the both you know, upper and, and lower house, so they can own, so that all they have to do is talk amongst themselves and exclude everybody else from the equation. So it's only their coalition that's, uh, that gets to say uh, at all. And uh, that's not a recipe for, for good governance because as long as they've got the temptation of single party rule uh, combined with the, uh, the edifice of the two party system where it forces everyone into a binary choice, the, the binaries are gonna get further and further apart uh, and there's no incentive to bring people together where basically the consensus middle is. Uh, so that's the, the importance of that is we have to get new voices. New voices in a legislature change the dynamic immediately. I mean, for the brief period of time that uh, Justin Amash in the federal uh, uh, federal government, when he was a you know full libertarian in there, uh, he was immediately getting attention and changing the um, changing the discussion, like when he introduced his, uh, let's get rid of qualified immunity. That was tripartisan support. There, there were co-signers on that from, you know, Republicans and Democrats. They came together under him because it wasn't a Republican or Democratic rule. It was a libertarian proposal. Um, and this would be the same you know, if it was like any other, you know, party that's coming over and bringing in new thing. But the point being, it changed the narrative so much that Nancy Pelosi buried the whole thing because they wanted to run on qualified immunity and then like wring their hands and they can't do anything, he gave them something to do and they buried it. Uh, but it just shows you that uh, one voice can change you know, everything. And we come down to the, uh, you know, the Virginia General Assembly, uh, it, no more, it is nice balanced. If there was one 
one new voice in there, one delegate, uh, one senator in there, everything changes. You don't have the same, you know, because they want to talk about the things that they, where they're different and not about, you know, the the status quo. They don't want, you know, so they want you to focus on that. An independent voice, a third party voice representing, a, you, know, an ex, you know, a clear and explicit uh, different uh, set of issues changes all of that. And when you change, when you change that, when you break, you, you break that narrative, uh, things start to happen. Good, better things. You can say, you know, I think they'll be good, but at least it would be different. Uh, and the only way we're going to get to uh, governance is eventually to be able to break the the ability of one single party to rule by itself. And the only way we get there is to have more voices in the legislature. And the only way we get that is to have more uh, uh, names on the ballot for us to choose from. The only way to you know, get more names on the ballot is to make it easier to qualify for the ballot in the first place. Thanks, Brian. Good explanation of why it's so important. And I like the example you shared there, the uh, tripartisan effort at our national Congress. We'll, we'll share a link about that again. That, that was a good story as well. Chris, anything you'd like to add to sort of why this issue is so important for the Commonwealth and what it means to you know us as citizens in Virginia? Um, well, Brian made the point, uh, and he's made this point before, and I, I always love when he, he pulls this out. I'm a big fan of this point of yours, Brian, about really it just takes one person. It takes one representative, one delegate in the General Assembly, one one senator, um, and that can really open up a lot for for you know our organization, obviously, and our principles and our ideas, but all the people that sort of stand behind us in those principles. Um, you know, just look at what uh, I'll use Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders as an example. I don't think any of us here are really huge fans across the board of his policies, but I think we all kind of appreciate a lot of the disruption that he brought to the process. You know, it just takes one person to stand up and represent a, a movement or a party and, you know, it can snowball from there. And so that's why actually that the two major parties are so bent on preventing any competition to what's effectively their two party monopoly on the process. Um, and, I'd like to point out that you hear both parties talk about uh, the election and you hear Republicans talk about securing the elections and you hear Democrats talk about expanding access to the election and making sure that everyone can vote. Um, and, and I'm a fan of that principle for sure. Um, I, I want secure elections, but not in the way that Republicans want secure elections. They want secure elections insofar as Republicans are better able to vote than anyone else. Um, but one thing you don't hear, particularly from Democrats who are supposedly pro-choice and supposedly uh, favor expanding access to, to voting is expanding access to the participatory electoral process and, and other individuals getting involved in running for office. They just want you to be able to come vote for them, but they don't want you to be able to run against them. And so to back up what Brian has said, really, they've got a stranglehold on the process. And so it's important for us to improve the ballot access process so that we can actually get more choices for people on the ballot. And I got to tell you, I am so uninterested in voting in our, our general assembly elections that we have coming up here in Virginia, just because the two choices are so unbelievably underwhelming. Um, I, I'm in a district where things aren't as particularly heated or, or as close as they might be in other districts. So I don't have that motivating factor to sort of play the swing vote role. Um, 
but it's just neither one is representative of any of my ideas, really. I mean, you could take a little bit from both, but why can't I have a candidate that is represented on the ballot that takes the best of, you know, the other two candidates or, you know, three or four candidates that might be on the ballot? Um, so we've, you know, we're pitted up against the hurdle for all these ballot access requirements that, that Virginia forces you to go through gathering signatures, um, which obviously was even worse come the COVID pandemic where, you know, you can't petition out in a lot of these public places in the way that you could in the past. Um, so it's already quite a bit of a hurdle. And then that obviously made it worse. There was a, uh, a legal challenge to the Board of Elections, a successful legal challenge where they did roll things back a little bit. Um, but basically what we're advocating for is rolling those back permanently and making it easier for citizens to participate in uh, their democratic process full scale, not just to go out and pull the lever, so to speak, for one of the two major parties, um, you know, and, and they love to play like they're you know, the party of the people and, you know, supporting your access to, to vote. And uh, I'm, I'm all for that, but we want to make sure that we have other choices. So it kind of goes to the maxim that we're sort of pro-choice on everything. Um, you know, I'm, let's not let the electoral process slip out of our minds when we consider that. Um, so, yeah, we really just want to make sure that we've got choices there so that people do feel represented. We want our elections to be much more dynamic than they are. Um, we want to get rid of that monopoly that the two major parties hold and just make it easier for people themselves, the citizens to participate in the process by standing up and, you know, um, letting their voice be heard and putting themselves up as a candidate and for others to have that choice. So um, it's sort of like free speech. It's not just about the right of someone to say something. It's the right of someone else to hear it be said. So, you know, it's not just about the right for people to go and vote. It's about their right to stand up and um, run for office as well. And that's really where we try to zone in on, on the ballot access uh, issues. I mean, we said before that, you know, at a time when more Americans than ever, a consistently increasing number identifies independent and they're not uh, identifying with, with one of the two major political parties, you know, that you'd think there'd be goodness in democratizing that election process and having more candidates, more voices that represent not just opinions we agree with, but but just a wide array of opinions. So so voters can choose you know those that they feel they most closely identify with and the best candidate gets elected, whereas internally we're stuck in this sort of A, B binary decision in, in most elections, which you know is obviously the frustration of most citizens who don't recognize either one of those two parties. So understanding the idea, right? like, let's open things up, let's make it easier, let's get more candidates out there, let's get more voices out there, let's let Americans choose, let's let Virginians choose. How do we get there? How do we actually do that here in Virginia? How do we open up the ballot access issue? Well, uh, the, that's the that's the kicker always, is because, uh, I mean, most people come at it with the, the cynical uh, point of view that, um, you know, of course, they don't want to let anybody, it's their, it's their club, but Fortunately, in the real world, there are people that are actually you know, true believers, and uh, and I'll, I'll do a shout out uh, specifically to uh, Delegate Sam Sewell out in uh, Roanoke. Uh, he's a Democrat, but he's out in the West. Um, he, he did introduce a bill several cycles ago uh, to lower, radically lower the uh, threshold to for the state to recognize uh, a party as an official party. And so for those of you who don't know, uh, in the Commonwealth of Virginia. 
uh, legally, there are actually only two parties, legally. Even though you may have heard, oh, there's the Green Party, oh, there's the Liberation Party, there's the Constitution Party, you know, et cetera. Those aren't parties, per se, by, you know, under you know, Virginia law. Uh, they're just PACs. They're, in, they're essentially glorified independent candidates that get to put a vanity label on them, but they are not treated the same. Uh, they don't, they have to go through a massive amount of hurdles to qualify for each and every ballot uh, that they get onto, uh, unlike the two official parties that are legally recognized. Um, and so they, what is, you have to go over and we're going, and this is actually a big uh, push that we're gonna be making for Lava Day, uh, once once we find out who our uh, all the delegates are, once the election happens, is we're going to go to them and we're going to make our case and we're going to try and identify those that uh, are uh, the most amenable uh, to the idea and pre the, present you know a number of views. It's the the the, um, the principled view that of course you know, if you if believe in you know the the vote in, in the democratic process, then clearly you need we need to have a little more equality. Uh, on this on this side, and then you know, there's some pragmatics that go along with it too, because it's like, uh, I mean, for the more cynical ones out there, wouldn't they like it? If wouldn't it be better uh, if the bomb throwing, like radicals of either wing, you know, either party, could just be their own party, uh, and you didn't have to compromise with them anymore to come kind of have a, a weird inco incoherent model of a platform. Uh, where you could, they could basically, you know, come over and, and represent a purer version of like things that they all believe in versus the um, implicit coalitions of both the Republicans and, and the Democrats. And I think having the coalitions be explicit, like they are in Europe, uh, where the, you know they run with like this is our partner party. Uh, you could vote, you vote for us. We have more say in who gets, you know, wh who's going to be the prime minister, and also the the important points. These are also our partners. You can vote for them, you know, or for us. We're all going to work together. You know what you're voting for. Uh, with the Democrats or the Republicans, you don't necessarily know what you're voting for, um, and, and that's and that's part of the problem. It's part of the problem you don't know what you're voting for, and also that if you care about issue A, and that's represented by one of the parties, you unfortunately have to get everything else that goes along with that. So if you're a pro-choice voter, but you're also uh, you know for economic liberalism. And, you know, just, uh, you know, paring back the, the state, if you're worried about choice, you know what, you, you only ha you don't have a choice. Yeah, you, the only, yeah, the, the Democrats are the only ones that are going to vote, you know, to at least keep the thing right now, because that's the only option. The only option, pro-choice option that's allowed on a ballot is Democratic, uh, unless independents and third parties can get on, you know, on the ballot in some cases. Um, and that's, that's a problem. Uh, <laughs> Wouldn't it be better if you had to, and this is to Chris's point, to be to have things explicit so you didn't have to worry if people aren't going to hold a gun to your head and say, if you vote for this person, then you're going to split the vote and then the bad guy will win and then you'll lose on the thing you care about, uh, which is terrible. And I understand people who realize and you know, think that, you know, well, this is too this is too important. I've got to, I mean, so I have to swallow, swallow my pride. Wouldn't it be better if you didn't? Wouldn't it more ideally if you didn't have to? And there are, you know, there's a coalition that you could vote your conscience in the way you know, we do. So we're going to go over and talk to each of the delegates and the senators. And uh, we've got some uh, legislation, some model legislation that we're going to share with them as well. 
to see if we can't get the first step going, which is at least to make parties easier to form and be legally recognized in the Commonwealth. I mean, that's great. It's, it's a challenge, obviously, because you're arguing with those you want to have open up the process who may not be necessarily interested in opening up that process. But it's it's a, it's a valiant effort to try and get some champions. And it's good. You mentioned uh, Delegate Rasul in, in the Roanoke area and others. It may be you know, thinking more broadly than their simple partisan politics and looking to really, you know, codify the importance of democracy and representation here in the Commonwealth. So appreciate that, Brian. Chris, is there anything you'd like to add to what Brian shared there on some of the initiatives to try and encourage more openness and better representation? Yeah, Brian mentioned limiting or uh, lessening the requirements. And I think that's a good first step. Um, just as an example for folks that might not be aware, um, for statewide races in Virginia or U.S. Senate races, um, a candidate needs 10,000 signatures and you have to have 400 signatures from each of the 11 congressional districts. Um, obviously, that gets more and more difficult in less populated areas or, or you know, places where the population is a bit more dispersed that would be, I think, more doable in northern Virginia suburbs and in the cities than it would be in a place like Southwest Virginia. Um, but nonetheless, these signature requirements still effectively sort of require you to go through two electoral processes as a candidate. Your first step is convincing individuals that you should be allowed on the ballot and getting them to support you in that effort and also convincing them that signing that piece of paper to say that yeah, I think this person should be on the ballot is not committing them to any kind of support for or vote for that candidate. And that might not sound like a lot to you know, folks listening, but as someone who's done that quite a bit, I've spent, you know, <laughs> quite quite a few days or, or weeks out, uh, you know, campaigning for candidates and trying to get folks on the ballot. And it is a challenge, especially sort of the layman, people who aren't particularly interested in politics or maybe folks that don't even vote on a regular basis to explain to them the process and then to get them to sign something is a big win and it's very difficult. Um, so you're sort of going through two processes there. You have to convince people, A, to get you on the ballot. And that's just the, the first big hurdle. And for minor parties, it's really the biggest hurdle that we focus on um, until we get a candidate on the ballot. And then you move on to convincing people to actually vote for you. Um, but getting on the ballot and getting over that signature hurdle is it's much more difficult than it might sound like at face value. Um, so, yeah, lessening those signature requirements would be a good first step. Um, and, you know, maybe we can even tweak that and, and tie that to population. Right. So we say 400 qualified voters from each congressional district without regard to, again, population density or, or the overall population. Um, so you have to ask, does that make any sense at all? Um, so you know, can we make things a little bit more reasonable there as far as population goes? But uh, for me, why can't we innovate? Why can't we start using technology and make this easier and say, you know what? If you have a computer or a phone or access to the Internet, we've got a page here where we've got a bunch of people that have filed for uh, to get on this ballot. You just you know, basically go in and say, yep, I, I agree. All these people can be on a ballot. Um, that doesn't really get you around the hurdle of explaining the process and convincing people that allowing someone on the ballot is not the same as voting for that person or supporting them in any kind of general election. Um, but I think it would be a massive improvement of sorts. And, you know, I'll take the progress where I can get it. 
So I think we should look into ways of using technology to innovate and to bring this into people's homes instead of having to stand out at the, the local grocery store and, you know, wave at people, you know, be that guy that everyone tries to end run and take the long route around. Um, you know, let's make this a more modern process. Let's put this in front of people where they already are, um, make it easier both on the, the candidates and those supporting them to do that work and for the voters to get the information, understand it, and to take action. Um, and unfortunately, making it yeah. easy, making it simpler is exactly what you know, the two uh, traditional parties are, don't want to do, right? They don't want to make it any easier, which is the, you know, part of the great frustration. Brian, sorry, you wanted to add something there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's a great point that uh, you bring out about the, uh, the, the, the inherent taxes uh, on non-two-party candidates. Uh, the taxes of, of uh, the expense it takes to get the signatures of money, uh, the time expense that it takes, and you have to do it physically. Um, yeah, and you have to have, and you, again, you have to be physically present all throughout the state. You know, at you know, at a reasonably you know, pretty high level. Um, all of these things are barriers. You know, just, you just think of them as taxes. These are taxes that the candidates from the Republicans and Democrats don't have to pay. Uh, not least because the existing parties have that in infrastructure already. Uh, so they wrote the regulations like it's something that's easy for us to do because we've got somebody in every, uh, you know, so we could just like do, 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 done, done, done. You know, we could actually meet them. They don't usually, but if they had to, they could. Um, <laughs> but independents especially don't have any infrastructure. Smaller parties usually, have, you know, they're spending all of their money and, and time and burning out their uh, the people running that first campaign, and then they got nothing in the tank for the second. When they actually have to go out to the voters uh, and, and make their pitch and make their uh, uh, their, their their plea uh, for votes, and uh, that's that's the issue. Uh, it, it's these extra taxes that they put on in terms of uh, time and, and effort. And one hundred percent, let's embrace technology where we can. And the insistence of, of literally writing on a pen, on a piece of paper. Uh, signatures and anything that goes wrong, anything that's different, uh, they'll throw it out. So it's basically they're setting it up to, you know, you have to go through all this work and they're making it as easy as possible to just negate it. Like if there's, if you didn't cross a T or dot and I, whoop, gone, you know. So that's, that's just a myriad of issues that most of the people don't see. They just think, oh, I just want to get on the ballot. And you guess you're just not organizing. It's like there's plenty of organization that's just all burned up trying to get over hurdle after hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And, and there's many of the obstacles that keep good people from running for public office because it's just, it's a lot of time and effort that you know people have lives to live, right? Most most folks would like to be that third or fourth option on a ballot aren't full-time politicians or not dedicating every moment of their waking lives to partisan politics. And so it keeps a lot of citizen servants out of the system because it's just so difficult, right? That, that onerous process to try and just be eligible is just so difficult for most people who have children to raise and jobs to have and things to do outside of the political, um, you know, arguments of, of the day. So it, it really is a challenge. It really does create barriers to entry for, for other voices. And we wouldn't accept that in most other things, right? We don't want just two choices at the supermarket. We don't want the uh, Chiefs and Eagles getting a default pass to the AFC NFC championship football games every year, right? We, we want free, fair, open competition. We want to see people, you know, compete in the best ideas, the best teams, the best individuals get selected to do um, you know, that, that, that big final 
um, match and selection. So it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, good point. So let me ask you guys something. So they're sitting here now, again, just a week away from an election here in Virginia, um, already underway by mail right now. Um, we should know that there is a libertarian and there are three other independent candidates that made the ballot for, for a Virginia Senate. In the 100 district elections, we have nine elections where a third party or independent candidate is on the ballot. So those aren't huge numbers, but there is some level of other option in some areas around our state. Are there others running in local elections as well? I'm sorry, and there are others running in local elections as well, including here in my local community. So when we look at this and we think about the CLPVA, here's a, here's a new party trying to provide some new perspective and new opportunities. What is the CLPVA's position and vision for running candidates in future elections? Are you going to be out there advocating for candidates? You know, is, is it just to push you on the ballot access issue? How are you looking at this in the near and longer term? Uh, absolutely. We're here to run candidates. We're here to participate in the process. We're here to get the message out first so people hear it. Uh, second, they have an, op an opportunity to uh, express a preference for it at the, the ballot. And finally, uh, there you know you have some preference cascade. You know, someone pulls them a call up, and you know one of our our people is the sensible uh, thing. All of a sudden, we win. We get into things. So absolutely, we want to contest as many elected as we can. Um, the parties is, uh, uh, we, we've intentionally set ourselves up to support candidates to, you know, cause right now we're working on lobbying, but we've got the infrastructure in, in place um, to be able to support the uh, final. Cause we've got the, basically the candidate, we were working on a candidate in a box. Yeah, you know, if, if you might you know, if you say, uh, that we, we know what you, here's the thing you need to file. Here's the things you need, you know, for your candidate website. Uh, here's a you know, here's a template for your website. For example, I'm going to go any far into the weeds. We've got all these things that for a candidate support out there, and we can direct uh, you know activist energy to the various campaigns. So we are very much candidate focused. It's not sort of like, yay, glad you're running under our banner. You do well, thumbs up. You know, we all all of us want to have a you know we're we're geared up and ready. And oriented towards supporting candidates. Now, of course, legally speaking, there's a limit to how much the party, as a party, can do uh, as a pack uh, to you know, to help you know uh, directly. We have this campaign finance and stuff, but we can help organize and get the resources where they need to be for each individual's individual campaign. Um, so that that's that we are focused on that. We just you know we need people to step up, and we will support you. Uh, we are looking for uh, for candidates, people who you want, who are willing to set, you know, stand up and say, I, you know, I want to do things the classical liberal way. You know, I want to get out there and uh, you know, add, add a different voice to the to the mix, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, win. Uh, that that's very much what we're about. So, so if you're listening to this podcast, or somebody shared this with you, and you're thinking, man, I really don't love my options here, and, and you know, I wish we could do something about it. I think Brian's saying. Hey, you can do something about it. If, if, the, if the principles and platforms we're discussing resonate with you, you know, get involved, get involved, and, and you can you can help make a difference here in the Commonwealth, maybe beyond. Chris, what, what are your thoughts here on the party running candidates and trying to get people into actual office and anything you'd like to add to what Brian shared with us? Yeah, Brian made a lot of good points about the infrastructure that we have to work on behind the scenes because it takes a lot of infrastructure. It takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of knowledge, uh, a lot of institutional knowledge. 
dealing with the regulations. So we talked today about the ballot access requirements. So you have to have people who are familiar with that process, who know how to win in that process, because it is a battle. You do have to win that process before you can go on to even contend in the other one. Um, you have the, uh, the, the financial regulations that you need. Um, that's a whole rabbit hole. We could go down, we could have a, a two part episode on, mm -hmm. uh, the financial regulations as well, uh, the campaign regulations. Um, so you have to have that infrastructure in place and you have to have those people who know, uh, you know what to do. And that's really what we are working to build with this party is to build an organization where people who agree with our ideas or even just that they see our ideas as a, a fresh alternative, maybe they don't agree 100%, but they'd like to support our, our candidates. Uh, so we're working on building that infrastructure so that we can have people run for office under our banner um and so yeah we we would love to have people support us in those efforts so if you have any kind of knowledge uh that would be beneficial join the party reach out to us um obviously it takes money <laughs> so i i try to do this at the end of every episode so here's my pitch for donating um if you if you believe in us at all just the smallest amount goes the longest way um, so Brian talked about the internet infrastructure, right? So that, that costs money to keep a website up and running. So just the smallest things to get our message out. So anything that you can do to support us uh, actually goes quite a long way. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the end goal is to run candidates who are genuinely going to run good races, not just folks who are going to get out there and say, hey, the classical liberal party of Virginia exists. Um, but yeah, we exist. This is what we believe. And as we've talked about, we are action oriented. So we're not just out here screaming about a utopian uh, vision for the world with our principles. It's these are the practical uh, policies that we want to implement and the things that we want to do to improve the lives of individuals. Um, and, you know, we're trying to get elected so that we can partake in that process and sort of push that legislation um, to that end goal. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of building that infrastructure and running serious good candidates. Um, I don't want to run some, you know, fringe random Joe who just says, yeah, I want to, I think it'd be cool to have my name on a ballot. Um, you know, we, we really want to build up so that we can have serious candidates that we run a professional, clean campaign, a uh, very uh, civic process. Um, you know, we've talked about that at the high level of, you know, what our party stands for and, you know, running those clean, clean campaigns and, you know, getting away from the fray and focusing on our ideas and um, our principles and our platform. Um, so we, we'd love everyone's support as best as you can. Yeah. Like, like Chris said, there's lots of ways to support. You can, you can donate, you can join, you can lend your expertise, your skills, your energy. You can run for office. You can help make a difference. There's a lot of ways to get plugged in. If you're just curious, maybe check it out, reach out, you know, get connected and, and see what your thoughts are and, and maybe explore ways you might want to contribute into the future. So gentlemen, thank you very much for that. There's, it's a super important issue. You know, the idea of representation and choice is just so foundational with everything that America is all about. And, and there's no place better appreciate that than right here in the Commonwealth, where so much of our country's history and heritage started from. So thank you for the overview on, on the importance of ballot access and the ideas you shared about today. Anything else you want to say on this topic before we wrap things up? Um, yeah, I just that uh, this is obviously a first step. Uh, and, and it's not all or nothing. Because if you insist on all or nothing, you usually get nothing. Uh, so any step in the direction of a you know, freer, more classically liberal uh, you know, government uh, in, in society 
is, is good. We will take those steps and we will work with you and we hope that you will work with us to convince uh, uh, the, the existing parties uh, to change their minds and to open up the process. Thanks, Brian. Chris, anything you want to throw in there? No, I think we've said a, a lot of great points today. And again, you know, it's really about choice and making sure that we are handling our elections sort of on election day or on election week via the actual ballot process and not uh, that we're not conducting elections and eliminating choices via a overly burdensome uh, regulatory process. We want citizens to cast their ballot for the candidates that they think should represent them and that we shouldn't have bureaucrats deciding you know, who and who who can and cannot uh, partake in that process. Yeah, absolutely. Well, appreciate that. We'll be back uh, next week to talk on more practical, actionable policies and, and platform issues. So looking forward to that conversation. And as we wrap things up today, Chris, I'll say thanks again for sharing your very exciting news. I know Brian and I are very excited for you. I'm sure anybody listening would share their, that excitement and, and well wishes to you and your wife for a healthy and successful process for the next few months and a wonderful birth. It's just uh, probably the greatest thing you'll ever have a chance to be a part of. So super excited for you. And congratulations on your Dallas Cowboys who were on red zone every time I opened my eyes yesterday, just absolutely obliterating the Rams for about 15, 30 minutes of that football game. So a nice win. Gentlemen, anything you want to throw out there as we just end today's podcast? Any personal news, good news, sports news, or otherwise you want to send listeners away with? Just uh, happy to say that the, uh, the my, my my alma mater, Virginia Tech, seems to have turned a corner, uh, at least uh, with the last game. So reaching 500, probably going to dip down below that next week. But it's nice to see that we seem to be on the upswing. So that, that makes me happy. Brian, my oldest is a Hokie, and I know he appreciated the win uh, last Thursday night. So hopefully the good times will continue there. So I, I appreciate that. Chris, anything you'd like to throw out there? Uh, no, I, you know, I appreciate all the well wishes and, um, I'm just trying to get as much sleep as I can over the next few months. I, <laughs> I know all the medical professionals out there will say you can't stock up on sleep, but I tell you what, I'm going to do my best to try. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, it's a first one for us. So we, we don't really know what to expect, but, um, yeah, we're, we're super excited about it. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, can, I can tell you many stories of being up doing strange things after, after being a little bit uh, sleep deprived, but we'll save those stories <laughs> for another day and maybe a beer. I'll share there's a couple of interesting stories in the news about, um, you know, I can't vote voters here in Virginia being, you know, removed from the, um, the, the voter rolls, right? Some of those have been added back on. Good to see that being worked out here in Virginia before the election. Some other interesting stories in my neck of the woods on just some of the challenges of local politics. And they're still having a lot of concerns on school boards and with families about retaliation and lack of communication. And hopefully we can find you know, good candidates here in the Commonwealth that can help make some of these issues better by, by really trying to serve the people and serve in a nonpartisan way just to, to pass good legislation and make things better for all citizens. So I'll share a couple of those links. General, I'll just thank you for your time, for all that you're doing to help advance freedom here in the Commonwealth. And we'll wrap up today's podcast. And as we said, we'll be back on election eve to keep diving into the party's platform, interesting topics um, that the party's advocating for. So all of you that are listening, thank you for being with us on this journey into classical liberalism. We're glad to have you with us. Please consider, as Chris said, joining the CLPVA or donating your time or some of your resources to help fight for a freer, more open, more tolerant Virginia, including getting more candidates and opening up ballot access. So please rate this podcast, subscribe and share and help others learn more about this show. You can reach out to us on Facebook, Instagram and other social media. Thanks for being a part of this community. Until next week, here's to open markets, open minds and free people. Cheers. <laughs>